Hello, everyone. Our generally very small live audience and our much larger video on demand audience. Welcome back to another episode of the Trino Community Broadcast. We've got episode 51. Uh, hosting today are two hopefully familiar faces by now. I'm Cole Bowden, one of the Trino developer advocates, and Manfred. Hi, I'm Manfred Moser, also developer advocate and Trino maintainer, and also Trino hacker on the Trino gateway these days. But we'll talk about that more later. Yeah, we will get to that later. It's been a little while since we've done one of these community broadcasts, our last episode being 50, just kind of celebrating the milestone. But things have been moving in the Trino ecosystem and community, and we've got more to talk about. We've got some exciting topics today. Um, so we've got two guests that we'll be introducing in just a bit, and I'm going to zoom in on this a little more. Uh, so we've got Jake Peterson and Matthew. Oh, boy. Is it Peveler? Uh, yeah. I should have asked. <laughs> there are ways to mispronounce this. It's Master well, Odin. That's the easy one. We'll, we'll, we'll get him to clarify, but uh, <laughs> they're at Popsicle or Popsicle or Popsicle. Pick your favorite. Uh, a new client that integrates with Trino that we'll be discussing in depth for the main topic of this episode. But before we do that, we're going to go over the Trino releases that we've been missing out on since the last Trino community broadcast. And this is a lot of them. The releases that had been coming out basically every week and it's been over a month since our last episode so yeah quite a few of them right like four releases and it's actually been more than a month right like summer summer rest and like we've not been like fully on the two under one week uh, one release a, uh, a schedule but there's a lot of stuff there and there's also some things that are not that obvious so let's see yeah so we're going to go through this kind of quickly so we don't end up taking 30 minutes talking about the releases but scheme evolution for nested fields which is kind of nice uh, we've got support for comments on materialized view columns. I think that's like the last of the comments on things that needed to be added to Trino. So you can comment wherever you want all of the time now. Uh, I could say something about more comments on more things coming, but oh, well, we'll they, have they, to keep that for are. a future episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 423 and 424, we added support for Cascade uh, as an option for drop schema in a variety of different connectors. Um, Various performance improvements. Martin actually calling out various performance improvements. We don't normally mention that. There's always performance improvements, but 423 did have a lot of them, so that is fair on his end. Um, 424 brought us improved performance for various uh, formats in Hive uh, and improved coordinator CPU utilization for large clusters. So if you're running Trino at a big scale where you've got lots of users, uh, many, many nodes, then you're coordinator is going to be a little less burdened, which will help. By the Especially... way, uh, you see, we have this supporting uh, cascade and drop schema again here. What does that I... do again, Cole? What does that do, Manfred? I got to be honest. I wrote the notes and I didn't look into it. <laughs> All right. So when you have a schema, a schema in these uh, catalogs typically contains tables. And with out cascade you can't go drop schema if stuff is still in it just think of it like a directory and your files you can't remove the delete the, like remove the directory. that's the same thing no matter what's in this schema you go and add this cascade keyword it's like rm minus rf it's going <laughs> i was i was gonna say so it's rmrf for a schema okay exactly that's what it is <laughs> I'm, I'm glad i grasped it that quickly uh yeah, so deleting scheme is easier than ever. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is up to you as a user. <laughs> it's a good thing. Your power user, cool. <laughs> Hopefully a good thing. Uh, so 425 brought us improved performance of group by, um, as well as check constraints 
in merge for the Delta Lake connector and then decibel 128 in MongoDB. Um, group I will see again in a little bit in 427. 426 brought support for set reset session authorization. So better security management and authorization management. Uh, improved performance of aggregations over decimal values. So we're handling decimals better, um, which is pretty handy for a lot of data. Uh, support for truncate table in Delta Lake, and then support for Databricks 13.3. And then 427 brought even more improved performance for group by and distinct, as well as a couple bug fixes related to the performance improvements in 425. So if that's something you're okay. excited for in 425, get to 427 as quickly as possible, I'd recommend, because it is uh, completing the improvements that the feature in 425 did. Uh, we have support for pushing down update statements into connectors. So if and when the update can be pushed down to the connector, update statements now work for a variety of JB, JDBC connectors. So you're able to now write data in more interesting ways. Uh, support for reading Delta Lake tables with deletion vectors. Um, so you know if, if you're a Delta Lake power user and querying it with Trino and you have deletion vectors, those tables don't break anymore, which is nice. Uh, faster writing to Parquet files in Delta Lake and Iceberg. And then support for querying tags in Iceberg. So wide variety of new features and new utility in 427. It's a pretty big release. And uh, I'd recommend updating to it if you haven't already. Yeah, um, there's also one more release that actually came out yesterday, but we'll talk about that next time. Um, and in the terms of the performance improvements, I just wanted to mention a lot of them come from the fact that we're getting rid of all the, all the old Hadoop libraries and basically rewriting the readers and writers for things like org, parquet, but also not so useful things like CSV and JSON files. Well, they're useful, but they're kind of like not as performant, right? So um, there's a lot of like performance improvements to be gained. And then we're also taking advantage of some of the newer features that are becoming available with Java 7 or are available with Java 17 and looking towards Java 21 soon and making some pretty good moves that Dane is being very, very enlightened and getting some pretty amazing improvements improvements in. So that's that's pretty awesome and good to see. So yeah. latest releases are always a good thing for performance. Yeah, the, the Java 21 is something that we're excited for because when we upgraded to Java 17, you know, you just get so many uh like compiler and runtime level language level improvements that it just makes everything run better. I think when we went from Java, what were we on before 13? 11. 11, yeah. 11 to 17 came with like a 5 to 10% performance improvements across the board. Just um, free. That's yeah, crazy. like literally no effort, just made Trino better. And uh, Java 21 going to do some of the same things, maybe not quite as dramatically, but... Oh, come on. It's going to be even more dramatic. <laughs> Project Hummingbird is going to help us to yeah. really flutter along very fast. We'll, we'll see, Manfred. I'm, I'm trying not to overpromise here because... Outside I'm just a confident man, always look on the bright <laughs> side of life, right? <laughs> uh, but but with, with talking about the bright side of life, how about talking some summer goodie, a popsicle? I mean, sorry, about something um, that is called Pop SQL or popsicle, and Matt and Jake will tell us a lot more about that. What do you think? Yeah, let's bring them on stage. Hello, Matt and Jake. Welcome to the Trino Community Broadcast. Hello. Hello. We're happy to have you. So this episode, we're going to be talking about Popsicle. How, how, is it ex how exactly would you recommend pronouncing it? Do you just say Popsicle or do you say Popsicle? Yeah, internally, we, we say Popsicle. But okay. 
pop sql makes sense pop sql people you know how people pronounce sql sql differently yeah we had we had quite the we had quite the like you know discussions about sql and sql in the docs at some stage yeah, is well. it a sql or an sql there there's many grammar debates to be had but i think yeah. i'm content to say pop sql is is definitely wrong and pop sql and popsicle are, are cool by me that works, um, yeah. what is it Explain it to us, to anyone who may be unfamiliar with it, coming from the Trino community. What and is also Popsicle? let us know what you do with or at Popsicle. Yeah. Sure. Um, Matt, why don't you introduce yourself first, and I'll do my intro. and. Uh, sure. So yeah, my name's Matthew uh, Peevler, in case I want to know how to pronounce my last oh. name. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, don't worry, no one ever gets it right on the first read. Um, and then I'm a software engineer at, at Popsicle. Um, just working on the, the full stack of the application. Awesome. Well, we'll talk about all, all the stack later. Cool. Um, and I'm Jake Peterson, and I'm the head of customer success. Um, so I work with all of our customers, do some solutions work, um, onboarding, things like that, and also work with our internal data team as well. Um, so I'll introduce Popsicle real quick. So Popsicle is a collaborative SQL editor. So really the number one priority in terms of our features and things like that is definitely um, connecting to a database, writing queries, and then the collaborative piece, of course, we're aiming to work mainly with data teams. So um, in working with data teams, we have features like um, you know, saving your queries uh, in the cloud, having a folder structure like Google Docs or Notion, um, having comments, um, being able to share a link to a query, have permissions and things like that that we can look at more later. That's awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to the demo. So, so how does that relate to Trino? Like you said, a database. Trino is kind of a database, but also multiple databases. How, how yeah. long have you known about Trino and like been been in, in using it, or what's going on there? Um, so, in terms of the business side of things, uh, like we've gotten requests for Trino, and I think it boils down to just being able to write SQL. Um, so it's in our name, so that's really what we're focused on. So having a good place to write SQL to share with your team. So we've had people asking for a Trino connection, and then we had a couple of customers um, specifically that signed on and needed Trino. So that's when we kind of upgraded um, some of our connection capabilities and then built a specific connector for Trino. Awesome. Tell, the, tell those customers to say thank you from the rest of the Trino community. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So. One of the first things we wanted to talk about today, hold on, I have the, the concept of the episode thing I'm going to play. It's important for the little guitar segues. Uh, is that in building the uh, client library for Trino with PopSQL, uh, we, you ran into the issue of the fact that you're working in Node and the pre-existing libraries for Node integrating with Trino were perhaps not ideal. And Matt, I think you discussed running into this issue. And your solution to this was? Uh, yeah, I mean, end up just writing our own. I mean, our our bread and butter is having a, a database client here. And you know, if we need to make sure we, we're kind of top of the line for that and investing in that space. Um, and, and as you said, like the existing space for drivers. I mean, I think for Trino, you really see like above and beyond for, I think you guys, Trino specifically maintains like a Python adapter and a Java adapter mm -hmm. um, along with the, the CLI stuff. And so like that works great. But um, as you said, 
were a node based shop um, where, you know, ideally our, we want to write an adapter in one language. Um, our front end application, our desktop application is an electron. And so that kind of forces our hand to be node. Um, and, you know, also just node is a great language for just IO bound things. Um, and so the node space, you, you know, does not have an official adapter that's maintained by either Presto or Trino. It's kind of fallen onto the community. Um, and like the, the node space is kind of weird in that respect, I think, in that some of the, the better libraries are purely focused at Presto and like, oh, you'd have to go in and, and you know, make changes and submit it to try and add Trino support, which isn't necessarily that hard, but still like, ah, the maintainer just does not use Trino and has no interest in it. Um, yeah, I think or... those libraries are like, when you found them, like we have them on the website, right? There's like Lento over there or something. And then yeah. there's the Presto node client. Both of them have been around for a long time, but I'm not sure how alive these projects are. Can you like give us your yeah. impression there a bit? So, so the Lento library is, I think like the authors basically said like, oh, this does what I need to, which is connect to Presto and run qu queries and get streams back and do whatever. And like, he's just like, I, I'm not really looking to like do a ton with this library. Um, because again, it's, it's, it's fits what he needs, um, which is totally respectable. Um, and then the Presto client node library does have Trino support like it has a an a engine flag that can be either Presto or Trino um, to to toggle between them, but like he the maintainer there isn't necessarily the most responsive. Which again, like that's the nature of open source. That's not like besmirching yeah, yeah. him in any way. Um, and then like there are like I think that there are more bugs in the Presto client that exist, um, and so like we had initially gone with the Presto client because it better fit our need for a distributed architecture um, where, you know, you might kick off a query and then, oh, while it's running, you decide to cancel it. And like they're happening on separate processes and like the Lento library, like doesn't really fit that paradigm. Um, it expects you to like, oh, go and cancel the stream. Uh, which with distributed architectures is not necessarily the easiest thing. <laughs> it's like, um, where was so, it even initiated from? <laughs> like, yeah. And it's like, all right, well, now we have to like start implementing our own wrapper around the um, HTTP API that uh, Trino exposes. And then it's like, all right, well, now we're starting to like half write our own client um, if we were to go, go with Lento. And then for the Presto client library, like, as I said, there's this kind of weird bugs where it's like, out of the box, it seemed great. Like, oh, this is this fits our needs. It works. And then, as Jake said, we started getting some of these larger customers that come in, like, oh, we use Trino at scale. And now, like, we're starting to hit like issues where, like, one of the the major ones we ran into was that the library did not does not handle 500 errors, like, at all. So, like, they just cause an unhandled um exception deep within the library that's like uncatchable and it's like all right well that's not good that's just killing our node server uh whenever our customers uh, cluster just returns with like a 5022 error which for them is just like weirdly common <laughs> yeah um, like yeah that's one of those things like like starburst has uh, invested a lot of work into 
that you know Python client, and that's now used in things like the DBT tooling or or like other clients that use SQL Alchemy and stuff for that. And we ended up finding the same sort of thing where it's like, all right, larger scale. There's all these like, why or how does this even happen? But you're like, well, it does happen. We have to fix it. So, so it's it's awesome that you're encountering those and like ended up like. <laughs> <laughs> awesome is maybe not the right word, man. Well, no, it's awesome that like you find those edge cases and like look at that and be able to fix them and and now have a library, I, I guess, that works okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> certainly within, like, the Presto client library also, like, it just exposed, like, a simple callback-based interface where, like, oh, you run a query, and then here's a callback to just receive data as it comes in. And, like, it worked great on our toy examples. And, like, when we initially rolled it out, and then, like, um, one of one of the larger customers, he's just like, oh, I'm going to run queries that return huge sets of data, and now why is, like, our infrastructure memory, you know, flying off the chart. And it's like, oh yeah, that <laughs> turns out that doesn't work in um, production. And so it's like, all right, now we have to kind of buckle on a streaming interface. We, we need a streaming interface. And like we had built a, a, a simple wrap around it, but still like, oh, we need not to just constantly be fetching the next page of data. We need to like properly only fetch it once we're actually ready to do something with the data, et cetera. And it's like, all right, well that, kind of just means that's like the Presto client library just had kind of insurmountable issues for us to just like use out of the box. And so we ended up working on writing our own, um, which we do plan to open source in the near future. Um, that kind of fits awesome. our needs of, you know, having a similar interface as like the Presto client where, you know, you, um, or I guess like another example would be more like the BigQuery client where it's like, oh, you issue a job or whatever, get some details about the job, like its ID or whatever. So then you can um, save the ID in Redis or whatever. And then like also, you know, you call method to start getting a stream of data. Um, it pages the data, et cetera, as you go along. So we can kind of maintain our memory, et cetera. Yeah, that's 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 um, interesting to interesting aspect. Like that's a common misconception about the Trino client API because it's like on the surface, it's a REST API. But then you get all these like companies saying, well, we want to know the REST API call to just implement it. But that's not how it is. It's, it is a REST API on the surface, but it essentially, like you're saying, it's paging and streaming and like lots of data. So it's not just a like call it and get the results and boom, right? Like Trino sometimes can return like gigabytes of data if, if necessary, right? Like it's not, probably not what you want to do, but if you have a table with like, you know, a few hundred columns and like, and you have a thousand rows and then another thousand and another thousand, the Trino server will actually go send you some results back. And then when the client goes back and asks, it'll get more from the actual source via the workers and then bring it back. So there's a conversation going on. So it's not as easy as, oh, it's just the rest of you. <laughs> yeah, so that's which I mean, is, is good that like there is paging and stuff since again, like, you know, a, a customer tries to get like, 10 gigabytes of data or something like you're not trying to be like, well, here's 10 gigabytes over the wire. You might <laughs> yeah. have to good luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, so that's, that's really cool. So you, so you managed to get that library going and now you have popsicle Retrino support. That's pretty amazing. So how's yeah. that going? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like it's working well. Um, the, I guess from just like, moving away from just like the general aspects of like writing a query um, 
a query client for Trino, like we're now also, as we've exposed it to more customers, we're starting to hit issues now with like seeing that people's clusters aren't necessarily configured like correctly um, in terms of like the um, one customer, like they're, I think they're using Hive or Iceberg and like some of their tables just like don't have metadata. And so like as part of Popsicle, like we want to expose the schema data um, for your database. So like, oh, we can, when you write a query, like you have autocomplete, you can see the schema in the tree, et cetera. And so um, like we were just using the regular information um, schema to fetch that metadata information. But like if you fetch, I tried to fetch like columns for a table that just doesn't have metadata, like Trino will throw an error, which you know makes sense. And then the user is like, oh, why is this broken? And it's like, no, no, you just your cluster isn't set up correctly. Fix it. Um, unfortunately, that's <laughs> not the appropriate answer. And so um, as part of integrating this, yeah. Um, as a part of integrating into Popsicle for the schema stuff, we've ended up also kind of spending a lot of time thinking about how to efficiently fetch their schema, but have appropriate mechanisms to try and gloss over those errors so that like, oh yeah, like 10 of your tables are just broken, but like we can fetch hopefully like the other 90 or whatever. Um, and so we've, we've spent time trying to integrate um, concepts of like binary search over the schema fetch. So, you know, at a simple level, you know, and, and again, like this is purely for Trino, like um, we haven't had to do this luckily for pretty much any other adapter. Um, but like, uh, so like, let's say when we try and fetch from information schema views um, and that throws an error because um, I think another one we've seen is that like their hive database returns like an invalid type for the, for one of the columns and Trino just like says like, I don't know what to do with this and errors. Um, yeah, yeah. Some of those things like type mapping, are, some of it is configurable and stuff. And then it, it really depends on deployment stuff. Yeah. Well, and then some of them are also just running old versions of Trino <laughs> and they're like, oh, can, can you, uh, oh, you're running a version of Trino that's two years old. Could you upgrade? No, no, that's way too much work. <laughs> please, please, <laughs> please work around this. It's like, all right, cool. Um, uh, if, and... if people say that, you tell them that the new versions have way more performance, you're going to save a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> I will keep that in mind. <laughs> um, so, but like, so yeah, so we ended up writing this system where like for, for views or whatever, right? So as an example, if that fails, we'll then say, all right, well, give me the list of all schemas and then like split that list in half. And then like, we'll try and narrow down like what schema doesn't work. Um, and it's like throwing an error. And then within that, we'll start, we'll do some level of, um, querying for like view names that start with like letters to see like, all right, what letters maybe work? Um, because so long as we don't hit that broken row, like every it, the query work returns just fine. And so it's just like ended up being this kind of interesting case of figuring like what's the most efficient number of queries we can run against your cluster to get as much schema information as we can without really being able to tell like offhand what is the broken pieces of the the schema. Uh, cool. Well, Jake, I think 
we hear a lot about lots of data coming across. Do you want to show us what this looks like or tell us more about the application itself? And like, it all sounds very interesting, like collaborative SQL writing. Is that like in Google Docs or something? <laughs> like where we fix it out of syntax errors? Like me and Cole would be a great team on that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can definitely show some stuff and we can dig into some of the more technical details again too. Awesome. As opposed to talking about the trials of setting up the node client for Trino more, which honestly fascinating. Like that could be another three minutes conversation. <laughs> but what is Popsicle? Let's look cool. at it. Cool. Um, yeah, so I'll show it real quick here. So um, I'll start really, this is just kind of the main screen here, but um, I'll start with the connection page since that's where everyone else will start if they were to try it. Um, so you can add a new connection here. We have a bunch of options, of course, talking about Trino today. So um, I usually wouldn't show this because it's not super exciting, but I think specifically for Trino, um, we do have some sort of advanced uh, things set up. Um, the most basic distinction between connection types in Popsicle is cloud versus direct connection. So a cloud connection can be used in a browser. It can be shared with other users within the organizations, things like that. Um, a direct connection means that I'm storing the credentials on my local computer. I have to use the Popsicle desktop app for that to work. Um, but then of course your credentials are not um, leaving your computer basically. So um, you have the direct connection option here. You can use a, v a VPN, things like that. Um, Maybe that's worth explaining to users. Like um, Matt mentioned earlier that um, it's written in Electron, and now you're talking about installed on my computer. So what does what does this mean? Like, where does the application run, or can it run, or what are the modes here? Like, is it a web application or not, or like run it yeah. run on the server or or not, or both? Or I don't know. <laughs> I'll let I'll let Matt answer the details. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so we do offer two ways that you can access popsicle so the the first that jake is showing is a desktop application which uses electron and was like the foundation of popsicle you know six years ago or whatever um and so that uses electron um it allows you to create um direct connections or cloud connections um direct connections are where like oh you issue a query or whatever it goes through your computer's network to your database and you know it doesn't go through our servers at all and then while cloud connection um we make the connection to your database on our servers run the query and then like fetch the results back down to your computer and again just all runs within our our server um and so because it's written in electron that means the front end is just html and javascript which then allows us to kind of very easily turn around and just also host or give you a web app version of it um, which operates pretty much the same with the only like major exception being that you just can't have direct connections. Um, you can only use cloud connections on the, the web app. So the web app brands in my browser or, or sort of like on your server, like basically it's sort of both, right? I'm sorry, what? So that when the web app runs, it runs in my browser as a Electron app, then I essentially sort when of... You when you open the web app, it runs within your, your browser just as a web app. Um, and then like when you open the desktop app um, and like when you run it in the web app, like we're fetching the stuff, like 
Electron basically is doing the same thing and fetching almost the same code. Like we had, like it's the the bundle that gets fetched for Electron is slightly different um, in terms of including some Electron APIs and stuff um, that are specific to the desktop environment. But like both of them, basically, you're fetching um, the JavaScript bundles from AWS to be displayed in your browser or in Electron. Okay, I have, I have a, a naive comparison, maybe, correct me if I'm wrong. It's kind of like Slack, you can have the Slack application, but that's really just a bunch of browser tabs for the workspaces, or you can just have them as tabs in your browser. Is that kind of like similar? You might yeah. not use Slack, I have no idea. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think that is a common criticism of Slack is that it is an Electron app and people are always like, oh, oh it is, okay, well, I don't know. <laughs> why does Slack use so much memory? It's just a web app in, running in this window. <laughs> oh, so it is also an Electron app. Yeah, yeah, I okay. mean, the, the advantage of using Electron for the desktop is really that it makes cross-platform development very smooth, where you, you write it once, and then you get the same application on Mac, on Windows, on Linux. Um, you don't have to worry about what is installed on their computer in terms of like the web view and stuff and how it might look, um, et cetera. And so while there are some cons to using Electron, like it is still a very nice cross-platform um, stack. Awesome. And that's a huge plus for a collaborative platform where you want everyone to be looking at the same things. Yeah, which awesome. We'll get more to in just a bit. Back to you, Jake. <laughs> oh, um, Sorry for the interruption. <laughs> no, no, that's great. Um, so I think just to wrap up the connection screen, the reason I wanted to show it too is really just to show um, you can add um, permissions. So uh, you can add individuals, you can add everyone in your organization. Um, so you, if you have a cloud connection with Trino, you can share it with you know a group of people, a specific person, or just the whole org. Um, so they can reuse that connection within Popsicle. Obviously, they have to log into Popsicle first to get access. Um, the other option, which is cool, which um, some of the larger customers are using, is this per user credentials option. So as an admin, I'm setting up my connection so everyone can share the same connection. They kind of um, the schema works in a similar way, and it is basically labeled as the same connection in our system. So if a query is using it, it can just keep using that same connection. But then each individual user will log in with their credentials. So if they have limited access to some data um, or something like that, like they're actually using their user account um, to run those queries and to access that. Can on, can you hang on? Can you go back to that screen with all the data sources for a sec? Um, the connection? No, the all the data sources, like that overview. Sorry, oh, where the, all the icons were. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So so you basically can directly connect to things like MongoDB or, or PostgreSQL. So you could have multiple connections, some of which go through Trino for federated queries. But at the same time, if you really need to go down to the metal in the PostgreSQL database and do some funky stuff that is only available in Postgres because whatever something, then you right. can, for legacy reasons, go back into a direct connection as well via the same tool. We're we're back to our federating while we federate, Manfred. It's yeah, yeah. Well, no, but like that's that's a, that's a good federate. Right? So you can... like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as as much as we'd like to have all of our customers using Trino, you know, at Popsicle, <laughs> we, we kind of have to meet them where they are. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's good, right? Like, this is mean, a, I, it's, I, it's I a recurring it. trend where where you realize that you can federate queries or you can federate queries a different way, like with various clients. So, I, yeah, I no, like putting it out when it comes up. It's it's one of my favorite gags. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool, very nice. Yeah, and it makes sense and has a lot of utility. So, awesome, cool. Um, then once you connect, um, I'll show the editor in a second, but just to um, finish up the collaborative piece, at least, I think um, we mentioned the the query, uh, the folder tree on the side, having queries saved in different folders, having different shared um, kind of states. We have a drafts area, my queries, and then team queries are shared with everyone. Um, and so you can kind of house your queries there. Um, you can sync this whole thing and the contents of each file into a GitHub repo if you need to do that to have that saved elsewhere as well. Um, and then your team can kind of access this. And then this is really powerful because if you have a bigger team or if you've used Popsicle for a while, then search um, works really well. <clears throat> so you can you know, search for specific things like revenue. Um, you can even search for inside of a query text. Um, if I search for a specific function or a table name or something, I'll be able to find um, where that is mentioned and kind of who owns that query and copy their work, or if it's my work, remember what I did a long time ago. Super handy for when you know that there's a query out there somewhere in the world and you're like, I think it used like that function or something. And then you go search it up and find it immediately. That's really handy. Um, and would have made me better at running queries when I was doing that all the time. So. Yeah, that's definitely better than glancing and looking at Stack Overflow for info about your your. Or just like manually going through all of the queries you've run in the last three months. Like, was it in like June or like July? Like, <laughs> I'm sure. Like, like I, I I'm just guessing, but I'm like customers that have a significant usage probably make a pretty big catalog of like query examples then for you, right? Like, you probably end up with like probably for bigger customers, hundreds of queries, like yeah. some of them pretty complex. So that'll, that'll be a really good test scenario for different systems, right? Yeah, I think drafts too. Like we had so many drafts. One of the first features we tested with some AI features is like creating names with AI for, for draft queries because there's just so many untitled queries in the system. So I think that's helpful. Yeah, um, so it's not draft one and draft those, two. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then this is the this is the um, schema area, the the schema tree here that Matt mentioned. So um, this is where you'll see your different schemas. You can um, show or hide schemas as you need them. All your tables, um, you can filter things here just with a basic filter to find a specific column or table. Um, and then there's some useful kind of right click or two finger click on a trackpad and, um, stuff you can do um, from the query tree, like a select statement or or um, copying the, the names of those things, so you can use those. And this is like currently just using a TPCS dash TPCDS uh, connector slash catalog, and you can have multiple catalogs configured there as usual, right? From Twino. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can. Um, this. Is, oh yeah, so you have more multiple there. Right, yeah, you cool. can change it over, um, and then of course you can switch to another connection as well. Very cool. So how how robust is this query editor? I see that you've got some syntax highlighting, but like, how powerful is it? Um, yeah, so there's a bunch of stuff. Um, we we do have um, 
autocomplete, of course. So there's a bunch of levels to that, but basically using alias, it's very aggressive. It will just show you specifically what is in the table you alias, um, pull that up to make that convenient. Um, you, it'll find stuff with no alias, um, just based on some, some search parameters. So searching for this, it pulls up stuff it thinks might be right um, and orders it by the likelihood of that. And then gives you some context there as well. Um, and then even if you alias things yourself um, inside a CTE, for example, um, that will also work. And then again, it'll show you more stuff because it's not sure it gave you the right thing yet. So the top four here are the aliases. And then down here, there's different tables with the same table name. So it's giving you the schema hint um, and kind of giving you some helpful clues as to what you might be looking for. And so if I'm editing this, but my teammate is looking at this like same query, are they going to see like my keystrokes in real time or do I have to save the query or? Yeah, so they will. Um, so they'll see similar to uh, like a Notion or Google Docs, you know, if they're highlighting something, um, you'll be able to see them highlighting. You'll get a little icon on the top here with their, with either their photo or their initials um, that they're in this query as well. Um, and then we do have for cloud connections. Trino here is not a cloud connection, but my demo BigQuery one is a cloud connection. So you do get a run history as well to see um, who's run these queries um, and a version history on your queries as well. So this would be synced to GitHub if you did connect. Um, Git repo. Oh, wow. So out of popsicle. So you're using GitHub as the backing storage for the history of those? No, we can just push it there. Um, push it down. Okay. Yeah, if people connect it. But this is just part of popsicle regardless. And they can also sync this through to GitHub if they want. Does that yeah. end up showing up as like commits? Like every time you edit a query, it'll make a discrete commit or? Yeah. Okay. That's really cool. That's amazing because like that's potentially also has like you can edit queries and like test them here and then they get committed and then you could have some automated system running those queries on a regular schedule and whatever else like that's super cool. Well, man for you say that, but I also see a schedule button. Yeah, oh. we do. We do have um, <laughs> no. I know I have... Well, there is that some other system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we can we can definitely do that with Popsicle. So, um, again, it's it's for cloud connections, of course. That's probably logical because we need to run that schedule on Popsicle servers. But um, we do have the option to schedule things. Um, it's pretty robust in terms of like what you can do for timing, um, depending on what you need. And then you'll choose your connection that you want to run it against. Um, and then you can get a, a notification. You don't have to, but um, you can just refresh things if that's what you want. But you can also email yourself the results or send them into Slack, either a DM or into a channel. Um, and if this is a query with a visualization attached, like a chart, or even if it's a whole dashboard based on some of these queries, um, then it'll give you like a, a nice um, visual of that dashboard, like a, a screenshot of the dashboard. Oh, so you can send an email to the CEO with the latest sale numbers every, every whatever or something. Yeah. And, and then also within the notifications, there's a couple of different options for when it notifies. So like, you know, within our, our internal structure, you know, if there are no results or if there are results are very powerful, like this query should be working. It's not, we're, <laughs> we're getting notified. Like, so we need to take a look. <laughs> Big fat I'm imagining fail. a business case for the, if there are results where you're expecting no results and suddenly there is one, like you press the giant red button of, uh oh, like <laughs> why, why is there a thing here? <laughs> Panic. Now that's, that's super cool.
so what's that squiggly variables thingy the braces variables yeah so variables are just a way to add just a simple um, kind of variable into your SQL code. So the most common is what I've shown here, which is dates. So if you need a from and to date or just a pull date uh, data after this date, things like that, um, then we do have a date picker for you to make that convenient. If you're doing a data export, things like that. Um, we also have. So do I just type the from date with the squiggly braces in the editor and then bloop, magically comes up the control? So you'll have to add it only because we need to know more than just the name of the variable. Um, we have a little button that says add, so it's pretty simple. But um, once it's added, then you'll choose the details here, um, whether it's a date or a number string. We even have drop down or even a SQL query. So you can run a query, return a list of things, um, and then make those the drop down options in your variable. Awesome. So that's easy. Even I can do that. Yeah, so that one is, is helpful. Um, I think the, the other thing worth mentioning here is probably the results pane. Um, so we have a scrolling results pane that caches the recent results of queries you've run, and you can see what is the SQL you ran to get this, the data. Um, if you have a chart attached to the um, results, then that will show up. If not, you can create one. You get this create chart option, and of course, you can export the data if you need to, um, and you can, get this in a bigger view um, with some basic spreadsheet type capabilities to explore your data so you don't always have to be um, exporting things. This is a super cool client. Like, it's it feels a little to me, I, I'm not sure how many of you this, this will resonate with, but it's so inside Meta, they have this internal tool called Daiquiri that they use to run all their queries. And this reminds me of it a lot, but like in a more user-friendly way. Like it's, they have variables, but implementing a variable sucks in Daiquiri. Like it's, it's an awful time. And I never did it because I was just like, I don't want to bother. I was like, I'm like, I wish we had that. Like that just looks like a better system of doing it. So I want yeah, to pra praise the fact that this does not make me feel like I'm pulling nails trying to get a query to work. So, <laughs> so I can write all these queries and send them around. Is there some other way to make them pretty and share them around or something? The results and stuff yeah so that's the the last thing here i think worth pointing out in this view at least is um the share button so basically you we have different levels of access team access is going to show up in the team folder like i showed before um, you can set it up so people can just view your query if you don't want people editing things or private obviously they wouldn't find it with search and they can't use the query um, and then the presentation link is sort of our version of let's share this with somebody, even if it's outside the organization, um, where we create kind of a private link similar to Google Docs, where you can share something. They can't really edit or run the query, but they could at least see the results if you check this box. Um, so you get this, and then you're able to actually, I think, um, you'll see something that's a little more user friendly. You'll still see the SQL that was run. Um, this is a public link. So like I said, you can't change these, but you can only see what the dates were that were run and see the visual example. And then the same kind of um, data table at the bottom of the results. So you could, but you could embed this kind of thing on a, I don't know, a website for your internal sales team or whatever to look at the latest number, like a couple of dashboards and have them all aggregated and some explaining text around it and whatever. 
Yeah, if you use that kind of public secret link, um, that would make sense. We, we, we do have, I would say most people probably only allow this kind of data sharing if the recipient has an account. So we have like a view only account in Popsicle. So people mm -hmm. have to log in, but they can't run queries or edit queries, but at least they can access stuff like this too. Yeah, it's all like private essentially, right? like like yeah. separated per customers and all that kind of security is wrapped around it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's cool though. Yeah, but, um, I think that's the that's the main stuff. Uh, I'm not gonna go into it unless you want to, but you can basically the last thing here is probably the dashboard feature. So you can pin a bunch of um, visuals or just data tables to a dashboard to make something that looks nice that pulls together a few different queries and results. Um, and that'll pull through the, the variables we talked about as well. And like I said earlier, you can also schedule a whole dashboard um, to be pushed into Slack or email with an image of the dashboard, um, like a daily or weekly snapshot. And then so you can also share dashboard. this. I can schedule my dashboard to rerun that query and I don't need to schedule the individual query. Yeah, exactly. You can rerun it and then we'll cache that data. And then anyone who opens it up on the browser like Matt just said, you can see the share link and they just see this kind of view only um, version so that uh, they get the data they need and they can't manipulate or do anything like that. Okay, so it's, oh, that's that's cool. So so say you like send out this like shared dashboard, you create the data once, like you hit the cleaner server once, that might be pretty heavy load. But then if a thousand users in your organization wanna see that dashboard, you have it cached so it's not going to hit your data sources again and produce more cost it just sits there yeah yeah assuming they allow that like the we have an option to turn that off because again with security some people don't want us to cache the data but if they allow it it definitely works yeah all right now that's a good question actually so so where does popsicle the back end run like you are running that or can customers run it themselves as well I think the um, answer is both, right? It's pick your favorite. You lose well, out on some features if you go self-hosted. Well, um, so we don't offer a, or we don't, like, if an enterprise company is interested in self-hosting, like, we're, we're open to that conversation. Okay. Um, but, like, right now, our main focus is, is on um, SaaS offering where you're just using our back end and, like, the desktop app connects to our back end the same way as the, the web app does. And, you know, then our servers are running in the AWS cloud. And I mean, know, for a customer, you... I, that is a lot less headache, obviously, right? Like, yeah, don't have to worry about all that stuff. So not great if you're running like highly classified, like government documents through your queries, but for all of the use cases. Uh, like, yeah, like Matt for... say, <laughs> talk to them, right? <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, yeah some customers they use like you know financial data or something and so they have a lot of rules and they can run locally through their vpn and it still works but um you know there's some things like for example the query text we still save for them we just never share or never save their data if they turn those features off yeah, yeah. okay well thank you for the overview uh this is a cool client like i i had not tried using it myself and the more you showed off more like wow this is sensible and well designed and has a lot of features so if yeah any, anything else you want to show us like i'm like blown away by all the coolness <laughs> also also like the popsicle icon it's very lollipoppy 
<laughs> it's popsicle, Manfred. Yeah, it's a popsicle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's probably not anything quick, but I mean, I'll mention we do have an integration with BBT, so that's an option um, that you can um, connect with, and that does work with Trino as well. And we have a beta integration, um, an AI integration as well that puts ChatGPT into the client, so you can talk with it about your query um, and ask questions there. We have an error fix um, AI feature as well. So there's there's some cool stuff um, kind of in the in the works as well. Wow. Impressive. Very nice. Well, thank you very much, Matt and Jake, for joining us on this episode of the Trino Community Broadcast. It was awesome to hear from both of you and to hear about Popsicle. If you are running Trino and want a web client that you can run your queries in and connect to other databases as well. Check them out. It's a pretty handy tool. Yeah, um, where, where can where can people find you? Like, oh yeah. Where can they find Popsicle? Where can they find you? Can they ping you on the Trino Slack or they want to know more? Sure, yeah. I'm I'm in the Trino Slack. Um, and then you know, popsql.com is the the website, and there's a sign up right there. And and um, yeah, and you can reach out to, to me on LinkedIn, it's fine. Yeah, and then as I guess you said at the, the top of this, I am on GitHub under Master Odin, which is my primary. <laughs> and then that underneath my GitHub profile has, you know, all of my contact details and such. Yeah, and that'll all be linked in the uh, show notes on the Trino website. So if you're looking for those links, they'll be up probably about a day or two after this was recorded and sent to YouTube. So shouldn't be that hard to find. Uh, Thank you awesome. both one more time. And uh, we're going to wrap things up with a couple more things going on in the Trino community. So have a good one, you guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Manfred? was cool. Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. You know what else is cool, Manfred? What? The Trino gateway. Yeah, the Trino Gateway <laughs> is a Trino Gateway now. That's the cool news, right? Like, yeah, it's not the Presto Gateway anymore. <laughs> yeah, and it is already way better. <laughs> it, it truly is. Like, so maybe I have to recap what's going on. Um, so there used to be this thing called Presto Gateway, which allows you to have a sort of smart routing load balancer thingy in front of multiple Trino clusters. So if you're not running multiple Trino clusters, don't even worry about it. But if you are, or if you want to do some like blue-green upgrade, zero downtime kind of fancy stuff, um, then you might want to look at the Trino Gateway. The Trino Gateway is that load balancer that allows you to run in front of a, a set of clusters. And then it basically exposes one URL. So all the users can go to like trino.example.com. And then under the hood, it will redirect queries and users to the right cluster if they are up or not and stuff like that. And um, thanks to the collaboration from Starburst, Bloomberg, Dune, Neighbor, and others, we took their various code base. We took the original code base that came from Lyft, um, has not been that much maintained over the last couple of years, added a whole bunch of features from Bloomberg that were implemented. And now Starburst, myself, and others are adding more stuff in it. And we managed to get the first release out, and that's really cool. Um, we already upgraded to Java 17. Currently, we're working through a, a whole lot of library upgrades because there's a lot of old stuff in there, so like Drop Wizard and stuff like that, um, and just adding more features and seeing what the various people that have their own forks 
would want to be added so that there's like one robust application instead of everyone having to waste their time maintaining their own. And so far, it's been really positive feedback. And uh, stay tuned for more releases and uh, reach out to us. We are on Slack. Uh, we have a Trino Gateway Dev channel and a Trino Gateway channel. And check it out. It's yeah. been really awesome. So if I, I feel like it's the best use case for it, right, is if you're sharing a cluster with people who are running really big queries or like fault-tolerant execution ETL jobs, Trino likes using all of the resources it's given. And if you just want to run like a quick query and get 15 rows, like this three-hour job is just going to bully you. Yeah, um, exactly. And with the gateway, that's not the case anymore. You know, you have two clusters. You can direct some traffic to one, some traffic to another. And you end up being able to manage these small ad hoc queries with these big, giant, gigabyte, petabyte scale queries uh, without any issue. And it, it makes Trino more user-friendly in a place where lots of people are using it for lots of different things. Um, you know what else is exciting, Manfred? I don't know. Trino Summit. Oh, yeah. I'm Thanks for reminding back. me. When is Trino Summit, Cool. When is Trino Summit? It's on the 13th and 14th of December, Manfred. <laughs> oh, when the snow is going to be falling down. Yeah, so we're bringing back Trino's biggest event of the year. Uh, so our call for speakers is out right now. If you have anything interesting that you'd want to share about Trino, how you use Trino, how you've implemented Trino, the struggles you've had with Trino, just anything adjacent the to successes Trino. you had with Trino. But also successes, but struggles <laughs> are cool too, because it's good to learn from lessons and failures too. So oh yeah, totally. Pick your favorite or your successes that came after struggles. You know, we accept all forms of success or lack thereof. But go submit a talk. Um, you've got talks rolling in already. Uh, our schedule will allow for probably about 15 talks. So the sooner you get in, the sooner we can accept you and get you onto the schedule. So I recommend trying to throw together an abstract if you can, if that's something that you'd be interested in. And otherwise, if you don't have a talk, but you want to listen in and tune in, then you can go register to attend. We've got that open. The event's fully virtual, so it's online. It's free to attend. You don't have to pay anything. You just get to tune into a live stream and listen to people talk about Trino. So that's pretty exciting. And then prior to Trino Summit, Manfred, Something that you've been working on more heavily than I have is the yeah, uh, and I still have to work a lot more on. But yeah, that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, Martin, uh, Dane, and David, the uh, founders of the Trino project from well over a decade ago, by now are helping and working with me again to get a training series off the ground around the SQL support of Trino, which, as I mentioned earlier, is very rich and had some new things coming up as well, like. Uh, SQL routines, and there's a whole bunch of things to be learned, and we'll have four separate episodes um, in which, yes, <laughs> um, in which we talk about uh, the beginning features, like, you know, just understanding what is a catalog even, and, and all the way down to, like, you know, user-defined functions or SQL routines and stuff like that. Um, register for that. We have those four separate episodes coming up, and you'll find me always and then one of the three of them in the each individual sessions should be very interesting it doesn't really matter if you're going to be an expert in sql or uh, a beginner um, each one of those episodes will have things in it that will be new for you um, the sql support in trina is very wide and very deep so <laughs> there's lots of things to look at um, so we'll give you a good overview and glance at a whole bunch of interesting things yeah so with Summit and the Trino training series coming up, check out the Trino website. Both have been announced on the blog. Um, so we look forward to seeing you all there.
But, and uh, also, uh, Cole just highlighted that SQL does not stand for what's what did I say? Silly, uh, quack. uh, silly quacking leopard frogs. Yeah, um, and related to that, leopard frogs are actually what's on the cover of the Trino the Definitive Guide. Oh. And re related to that, am I able to find that? Is yeah, that just click on that link. Um, uh, Manfred, I'm I'm on a very weird version of this. Okay. Um, anyway, so <laughs> what I I'm wanted so to mention <laughs> is that book, the Trino the Definitive Guide, now also has a Chinese edition around. So if you're um, more inclined to read a book that's written in Chinese um, and there has a go. cool frog on front of it, that's the book to get. Um, hopefully it helps our user community in China and everyone else that uh, likes reading or can read books in Chinese. Um, it's pretty amazing to see that book also in, in Chinese. And uh, hopefully it's helpful for the large community that's over there as well. And that's a leopard frog, just in case we forgot. Yeah. <laughs> in any case, that's going to be about it from us today. So once again, thank you to Matt and Jake for showing Popsicle off. That was a really yeah. awesome episode. Awesome. And uh, until next time, we'll see you later. It's our Music for the show is from the Mega Man 6 gameplay album by Shishtaf Swabikowski. Don't forget to give us a star on the Trino repository at github.com forward slash TrinoDB forward slash Trino. And for more information on future shows and to find show notes, check out trino.io forward slash broadcast.